Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. Mitch Varel is here. Trevor Henry's here behind the glass. No Steve today. Steve is taking this weekend off for himself, getting himself ready for the football season, of course. I've got one of the fabulous people that I get to work with on the State of the Sun Devils podcast. One of the two fabulous people that do all the video work for us here at Arizona Sports and, of course, at KTAR. He is Jeremy Schnell joining me this morning. Jeremy. Saturday debut, second time on a Saturday. What are we at here? Well, I guess you could say second time on a well, Saturday because sure. we did our. There we go. Yeah, we, we could say second time on a Saturday because we did the um, the Arizona State uh, Sun, State of the Sun Devils podcast live that That's one time. That's right. We did a live pod. Yeah. So podcast to broadcast. Yeah, we did that uh, during the spring game actually. That's right, mm-hmm. and we were on location. Okay, yeah. so this is. This is nothing new for you, then. You're a Saturday no, pro. I mean, like, I like working on Saturdays. We got ASU football coming up pretty soon. Obviously, the first game's on a Thursday, but the rest of the games will be on Saturdays. So I will be working almost every Saturday until football season's over. Of course, you and I are very much looking forward to that and all the podcasts that are going to come out of that for this ASU season. Uh, we're also looking forward to the Diamondbacks kind of getting back to their ways. And for a moment, it looked like that they were getting back to their ways. But unfortunately, last night was a recurring of all the things that they had been or that we had been griping about for like the past month or so. No offense and a bullpen collapse once again. Well, the starting pitching was great. Oh, it was awesome. Brandon Fott looked great out Brandon there. Brandon looked fantastic. Uh, but the here's the issue. They couldn't get any runs. Uh, Alec Thomas got a, you know, got a couple base hits, I'm pretty sure. Um I I think uh Guriel looked good in his first game back. Um he looked like he had a nice approach at the plate, and we've been seeing that over the past couple months, in turn, or past couple weeks, excuse me, on uh, Lourdes Gurriel, and obviously he had those couple days off. He's dealing with the shin issue after sliding into home plate in in Denver. But you know, I, I I didn't mind the look of the offense last night. It's just like the runs didn't come in. You know, like they were getting hits, they were getting on base. The base running mistakes happened again, again. Here's yeah. what I will say. If you're no-hitting the other team through six innings, can you please get your pitcher some run support? Yeah. Like, please. You had five hits up until that point. You're yeah. telling me not one of them could get around to score? You're telling me not one of them was able to produce any sort of runs whatsoever for your young stud of a pitcher who is finally living up to that model that a lot of us are expecting him to live up to? What if in it, what, what, you, you took a picture of his numbers. I, I think it was a 3.50 ERA since he's come back from the minors. So that game against Cincinnati, that was his first one, and that was the best he had looked up until that point. He had the one run allowed against the Giants. It was also the only hit that he allowed. So in six starts... July 22nd to yesterday, in six starts, 36 innings, he's allowed 30 hits, 14 earned runs, a 34-9 to strikeout-to-walk ratio, and a 3-5-0 ERA. Here's what I'm concerned about. He's still allowing a ton of home runs. Yeah. And a lot of the runs that are coming in are at the home run level. And that was a terrible hanging, hanging breaking ball that he threw to Soto as well that... Just he unloaded onto center field. Yeah, oh, and it but, was that close to becoming that, four that, bases instead that, of two. I, sorry, that wasn't uh, that. Soto got the base hit. I'm, I'm talking about when Tatis hit the homer off of Castro, which we'll get to in a little bit as well. 
<laughs> you know what? The more I think about it, can we actually avoid? Well, well, I, could, I know, I know, we're not going to. No, avoid but like, it, I could, but is there I could, anything else that we could say about Miguel Castro at this point? I could hear Gambo yelling. He he was he was probably destroying his TV last right? night. Right. Like, Although in reality, he probably took last night off. Um, I don't know. He might have still probably watched the game. And his as last as nobody told him. In his last seven games, Miguel Castro has a sixteen point two zero ERA. Five innings pitched, you, eight say hits. That again? Six, say that again. Sixteen point two zero ERA. Five innings pitched, eight hits, nine earned runs. Earned runs. One point eight zero WHIP. Keep, keeping the hits and walks down, I guess. <sighs> Oh my gosh, that's bad. Here's a Tori Lovello last night talking about the collapse and Castro's part in it, or whether he saw a part in it from Castro. Two outings ago, he was crisp and clean in Colorado. Um, so it's not that far. He's not that far removed from really good, a really good outing. I mean, I like, I love the matchup at the for the bot that part of the order, the bottom of the order. Um, Sanchez is one for ten off of him, and it's just all the projections were very good for him. We just. Didn't execute. That was that wasn't a very good inning um, on both sides when we were hitting um, and when we were fielding. We just we didn't do a great job. Yeah, and I mean in terms of relievers, he's not that old. He's 28 years old, so he's still got time to kind of figure this out. This is what his fourth team. Yeah, since he's been up. Uh, right, but here's the thing: he's got he's got good stuff, right? Like he. he it's just he's got to start to figure it out. He's got that high-velocity fastball. He's got a good sweeping uh, slider that really could get hitters. It's just he's leaving them hanging right now and getting it crushed. Now, you could say, like, oh, the Colorado game, it's cores, you know, whatever. They could say that if he wasn't also struggling before and Correct. outside of cores. Like even Again, 16 over 16 ERA right the now. The last good last outing that I remember out of Castro, uh, funny enough, was against the Padres. It was the first game that the Diamondbacks had won in the month of August. That was two weekends ago. I think last Saturday, actually. He threw like eight pitches. Three up, three down. What happened to that, Castro? Why is this... And granted, I'm not fully blaming Castro, but he's going to take a brunt of the blame because of the hit allowed to Kim and then the home run allowed the next batter later. But there was a lot of fundamental stuff that went wrong in that eighth inning yesterday where you cannot fully blame Castro for that collapse. And it's the same thing that we've been talking about even during that nine-game losing streak. It's been the bullpen, right? Like, obviously, they didn't score runs yesterday, right? But the the problem also, I mean, it's been the bullpen. They haven't been able to keep these leads. The starters haven't been bad. They haven't been bad, no. and it's just, it's just not helpful when your offense isn't clicking. No. And the biggest problem with that, with the offense not clicking, you can agree to disagree, but I think it's been Corbin. And this is the problem when you base, or your offense appears to be based, around one dude. Because you think about how well the Diamondbacks were in the first half of the season, first half meaning before the All-Star break. And everything after that, and you could attribute it to the multiple times that Carroll has been pulled because of shoulder injuries. You can attribute it to, oh, maybe he's just hitting the rookie wall and he's starting to get tired out from all the games that he's playing. However you want to look at it, the rest of the Diamondbacks seem to have fallen down with him offensively. Once Carroll went down, everybody else offensively seemed to go down this uh, shoot with him. And the base running mistakes, too. That. I just, this, I, can't. I don't understand how you can have so many base running mistakes out of nowhere. I think that was the top of the fifth inning. It led to Moreno getting picked off at third. 
when he left early. He left early on one of the pitches prior to that. What was it? Carroll forced to throw over to first. Correct. And then he's trying to do a pickle, and then Moreno got too, too far off the bag. And got oh, at third, down. right. And Cattell got on base. He got, he got walked after that. So you would have had the bases loaded, I believe, with no out. And producing nothing. This, yeah. I mean, look, offense seems to be the fundamental issue. Starting pitching, you're kind of crossing your fingers. They finally were able to get a win with a Zach Gallon start last Saturday. And they were able to do it again Friday when Gallon was on the mound in San Diego. But now the bigger challenge is going to be you have three wins so far on this road trip. I remember Burns and Gambo talking about it at the beginning of the week that you need to win five of these games to remain in contention for a wild card spot. They're yeah. on the outside still. You have three wins right now. So Both quick, of those games are today. Quick math, Jeremy. <laughs> How many wins do you have to get to get to five on the road trip? Yeah, I get two today. And they're both today. Mm-hmm. The reason being, if you did not know, they moved up all of the Sunday games on the West Coast due to the expectation of Hurricane Hillary which is anticipated to hit sometime this weekend on the coast. So they moved the two games up. Now, good that they're able to get both of those games in, but extra pressure implied for the Dimebacks, and the Padres too, to a sense. But extra pressure applied to the Dimebacks, who now have to essentially get both of these games if they want to feel in it, and they're both today. And they've played, you know, they've won games recently. They After that nine-game losing streak, they've won five out of their last seven. And then what happened? They went back to their old ways again last year. Just as soon as I want to think that they're getting themselves into a groove, they do like what they did yesterday, where they get, you know, a few singles. There wasn't a ton of great plate appearances last night. And now you're staring up at the wild card still. You're two games out of the final spot. So I guess here's what I'll say. Here's the good news. Miami also has two games against the Dodgers today. And then you have two games against the Padres. You win both of those, and Miami loses both of their games against the Dodgers. You have the same amount of wins as Miami and Cincinnati and San Francisco at 64. Can you do that much today? Can you get two wins today and find yourself right back in the thick of it today? Now, I don't... I. I could see Miami losing two games in L.A. because the Dodgers are that good and they got killed yesterday. Yeah, the beatdown they put on them yesterday might the, have helped. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Miguel Rojas was pitching in the ninth inning for the Dodgers. Um, <laughs> so he got out Jazz Chisholm. Uh, stories write themselves there. Um, anywho, uh, but no, the, I could see the Dodgers losing or winning those two games today. But can the D-backs take advantage of that and win those two today? Not only putting themselves in a wild card spot temporarily, but also putting the Padres way farther down there. They're just making me nervous, man. And they I'm, have they have they have a chance to put the Padres out of this race. Of course they do. Here's something else that I'm noticing, and I can't believe I've waited this long to bring this up. You have Merrill Kelly in game one, you have TBD in game two. Meaning that it's probably going to be another heavy bullpen game. And if Merrill Kelly can't get you a good amount of innings in this first game, you're going to be blasted tired in game two. We got a major league debut coming up. That's, well, somewhat of a debut. Peter Streslecki, who was the fourth of the Diamondbacks acquisitions at the deadline, he got called up as the 27th man for this doubleheader today. So maybe, highly likely, Peter Streslecki will make his Diamondbacks debut. Diamondbacks debut, correct. 
He was he was in the uh, Chafin trade, right? Hopefully, makes us feel better about that trade. Mm-hmm. That's all we can hope for. So, two Diamondbacks games today. We'll keep you updated on the one. The first game starts at twelve ten. We're going to have that on the Arizona Sports app and over on ESPN six twenty. But coming up next, it's not the only game that we're going to watch tonight. Arizona Cardinals preseason game two against the Chiefs. Clayton Toon. So you going to get the majority of the quarterback reps? We'll talk about that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. And Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Vareldis, no Steve Zinsmeister today. Got Jeremy Schnell filling in for Steve today. Trevor Hi. Henry behind the glass as always. Cardinals preseason game number two coming up later tonight. Five o'clock is kickoff. We've got pregame coverage starting at 1.30. Here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader and the Arizona Sports app. So we'll get you covered from toe to toe. We're the pre-pre-pre-game show? Is that what we are? I mean, I guess you could call it that. Yeah, we're the show before we got Eric Ruby coming on for a half hour after us, and then it's all Cardinals until the end of the night, basically. (laughs) But I mean... The pre-pre-pre-game show. The the preest of pre-game shows. And again, the uh, Diamondbacks doubleheader will be over on ESPN 620 and the Arizona Sports app. So we've got you fully covered with sports today because you got two Diamondbacks games and then you got the second of the three preseason games for the Cardinals today. Uh, let's start back to the beginning of the week, Jeremy. Tune time. Tune time, yes. But at the beginning of the week, we had the best news that we could possibly get about one of the members of the Cardinals offense. Zach Ertz, officially activated right. off the physically unable. Julie's husband. Yes, Julie Sutzman, Zach Ertz. <laughs> um, now, how much we're going to see of Zach Ertz in this preseason, who knows? He's just coming off of a major injury, just getting back into the swing of things. Do we see him today? I don't know. Gannon never really hinted at the idea that it would, that he wouldn't. He likes to keep things a little close to the best. Expectations, though, for Zach Ertz are relatively high as one of the few veterans that are on this team. I don't necessarily think it's important to get him in in the preseason at all. I, I think it's important, though, that he's able to practice with the team. Right. And practice with Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon and David Blau and whoever might be throwing him the ball come week one. See, it'll be interesting because if we were to base everything off just the one preseason game, Colt McCoy got... What was it? Like nine of the team's reps on offense. I can't remember the four for four passing 17 yards, but that's just it. Four for four for 17 yards. Not a lot of air balls, not a lot of deep threats. It's very short field stuff. A lot of rushes. Clayton Toon comes in and then the book almost completely changes. The thing about Toon, though, is that he didn't do anything that really blew us away in that game one. He he took some shots right, but he didn't do. They, they weren't completely accurate, right? I mean, and and his the pick wasn't all his fault, right? Because the receiver slipped, right? Um, so I, I the the pick wasn't a hundred percent his fault. The um, was it Dorch or was it who? It was Rondell Moore, right? That slipped on that the slipped, play. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, he kind of got into a groove in the in the second quarter, late second quarter. That's I would much say, better, yeah, yeah, in that two minute drill at the end of the half. So, I mean, I, I think for him, 
It's just continuing to get those reps. He played at Houston, right? Like, it's not the biggest of competitions that he's going up against. Uh, it's not like he played in the SEC. It's not like he played in the Big Ten, right? Sure. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see as he continues to progress and playing against a good team that today that just won the Super Bowl last year. Will we see him, you know, be able to read the field or, or, or a little bit better? Or will he struggle like uh, like he did at the beginning of uh, when he came in the other day? Jonathan Cannon earlier this week, is Clayton expected to get the same amount of workload this week as he did last week? Yeah, we'll see. We're kind of evaluating that right now. Good question, Tyler. We'll, we'll kind of develop each individual plan and, and kind of go from there. But um, he'll get his opportunities. Shout out Tyler Drake. Yeah, shout out Tyler for the question. <laughs> I, I think if anybody needs the opportunities the most, it has to be Clayton Toon. And look, I'm probably not blowing anybody away by saying what I just said, but he's a rookie, as we talked about. His college competition was not at the most elite level in terms of who Houston played in the conference that they're in and then soon to be in the Big 12 next year. Like Clayton Toon didn't get those same experiences. He was really good. He put up stellar numbers for Houston. But the competition level is slightly different. And now you're getting thrown into a position where you have a legitimate chance to be the starter week one against the commanders a few weeks from now. So can Clayton Toon go out there in this preseason game and make you feel a little bit better about the direction that he could be headed? I'll blow you away a little bit with my take here. Okay. Here's what I would do. Going into week one, Kyler Murray's not available. Of course. Let's just, hypothetically, we also think that's probably the case. I would start Toon. And Blau would be my number two. Really? Yes. So no Colt McCoy whatsoever. I just haven't seen enough from him this year. He's getting up there in age. I think he could definitely help out that QB room and help out Blau and help out Tune. But from what I've seen from him with the weapons that they have, I just don't think he fits with the weapons that they have. There was an expression that Gambo used, and it was either when they were interviewing the head coach, Jonathan Gannon, I believe it was head coach Jonathan Gannon a couple of weeks ago, and it was something to the to the tune of, <laughs> it was something to the idea of, does he get credit just for writing his name down on the test? Yeah. Does Colt McCoy get to automatically be the starting quarterback for your team because his name is Colt McCoy, and he's done this several times before? Does In your mind, does that give Colt McCoy an edge despite the lackluster start to this season? Granted, dealing with some injuries towards the end of the season, right. he didn't get to finish out because of the concussion. And we're still just kind of waiting for him to look like Colt McCoy again. I, I don't want to sound mean here, but he's he's a career backup quarterback, right? So, like, I, I, I'm i not trying to sound mean, right? No, but no. It, yeah. it, it, And he doesn't get that benefit of the doubt here now if he was excellent last year if he you know came in and was running the offense and throwing the ball down the field and making you know plays and and getting the receivers involved and stuff like that sure but i didn't see anything last year that made me say okay well yeah i i think he's serviceable and and good enough to hold down the fort until kyler murray gets back i think it's funny because the game against the rams do you remember that colt mccoy had to fill in because kyler wasn't available and Colt McCoy outplayed, it was John Wolford at the time, I think it was, but it made you feel somewhat better about, oh, maybe the Cardinals do have something that they can utilize as a fill-in for the time being until they get ready to go for the season or for Kyler's return. 
Now I don't know if I necessarily feel that way because you have some legitimate competition. And let's not forget about David Blau, who against third and fourth stringers perfectly executed a two minute drill to win them that game last week. And he ran the play action super well last year when he did play. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge part of this offense from what we've seen from the offensive coordinator and, 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 and what we've seen. Obviously, they want to get James Conner involved and he, they want him to be a centerpiece of this offense. They're paying him to do so. Does he play this week, by the way? I, I a tangent really quickly. He didn't play last week. He didn't play last year during the preseason. Different regime, though. So I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how different that would be this time around. He... He doesn't have to. I don't think running backs have to. Okay. I think the timing that you can, you you can get the timing right in practice with, you know, the handoffs and stuff like that, um, routes, stuff like that, all that jazz, I, I guess I'll say. But in terms of wide receivers, tight ends, offensive line, you need to get those games those game reps in. I will say, I did find it kind of interesting that with Connor not going, DJ Humphreys didn't play either. And at the same time, there were a bunch of other guys that didn't. Kaiser White, I don't think, dressed up. BJ Ojolari didn't dress up. Like, does any of that change this week, knowing that you're starting to run out of opportunities to get them some true game action? Because the preseason really is the only game action that you get, except for the they have these joint practices yeah, next week against Minnesota. Say. But it still doesn't run the same. I think that's a factor, though, right? I think the 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 the, the fact that they do have that joint practice next week. I, I think that's a big deal. So it's as if they're playing two games. If you put everything together, right? They get the joint practice, the lead up, the practices, all the way up until the game that they play against Minnesota. I think they possibly play the first quarter, maybe even into the second quarter. We'll see. One more thought. One more uh, thing. I want to get your thoughts on Jeremy before we go. Drew Petzing, the offensive coordinator of the Cardinals, earlier this week. Right. Uh, he was down on the field calling the plays in his first game. And then made a note of what he felt about calling plays down on the field, but then mentioned something else towards the end. Uh, I did. It was good. Obviously, the operation was clean, but I'm going to try going up this week. I think it's important to try both and make sure that I'm making an educated decision on what's best for the team uh, and what's best for our offense. So going to give that a shot here this week. Calling plays from up in the booth today. You think that has any massive impact in one direction or the other? I kind of like that. I, I like the offensive coordinator and defense coordinator, for that matter, to get a bird's eye view of the game. I have noticed when I'm on the field um, and when I'm in the press box, I get a totally different view of what's going on in the game. So I I, I think that, in general, it's good that he's going to get this experience in the booth. One of the youngest coordinators in the league. Yeah. I mean, like, so to get him that experience, see what he likes, I, I don't mind it. Right. I, I, I think that it's good. I don't mind it until it goes bad. <laughs> and so far, everything seems to be OK. Coming up next, the Phoenix Suns. We know the schedule. We took our highlighters. We went through the entire list. We'll give you our takeaways next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Veraldis, Jeremy Schnell in for Steve today. Trevor Henry behind the glass. Going to try and uh, finesse our way through this upcoming sun schedule. You see what I did there, Trev? Yeah, you like that. 82 games. Jeremy and I have a full paper list in front of us. And with the help of our great Empire of the Suns team and our Arizona Sports digital web team, 
We got some by the numbers to break down for it as well. So if you haven't looked at that, check it out on ArizonaSports.com. There's multiple articles. There's multiple. by the numbers, back to backs, longest trips is one. And then there's the must-watch games on the Phoenix Sun schedule. That's by our lead editor, Kevin Zimmerman. And we're going to essentially do the exact same thing talking about it right now. So, in case you didn't know, the Suns will open the season on the road at Golden State and then immediately follow oh, up is, with is there the someone, Lakers. Is there someone on Golden State that we should be looking out for? You mean Steph that? Curry? Yeah, maybe Draymond. No, oh, Clay Chris, Thompson. Chris Paul. Oh, that guy. that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Be interesting to see uh, how he plays in his first game as a Warrior and uh, against his former team. In that, the starting lineup? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, I've been look, thinking about that for a while. I'm so glad that we are not a Bay Area radio station and <laughs> we don't have to figure out, oh my gosh, is Chris Paul going to be a starter for the Warriors? And instead, we just have to figure out who's going to be the fifth starter for the Phoenix Suns. It's kind of a <laughs> A weird juxtaposition. Corey Craig's not here anymore to do it. No, no more TC. They have plenty of good options, but of course, it'll be curious to see. So doubly so with that opener at Golden State. Yes. That'll be the first time that Kevin Durant plays in front of the Chase Center crowd since he was a Warrior. Right. And for the record, never played as a Warrior in the Chase Center. (laughs) And the last time that he was healthy and played in the Chase Center... Fans were not allowed to attend wow. because of COVID-19. So this is the first time That's that it. they really get to recognize him. Did you come up with that by yourself, or did you read something about no, that? No, I, I, <laughs> I've been keeping track of this stuff, I promise. Not that's a interesting. Sicko, but yeah. I do like that. Yeah, that's, that's a good draw. That, that'll be fun to watch for sure. So we got two different storylines in that game. We got the Chris Paul storyline, and we got the Kevin Durant returning in front of fans at the Chase Center in San Francisco. On top of the fact that it's an opening night game. Yes. So the NBA has two games on opening night. The first one being the reigning champs, the Nuggets, hosting the L.A. Lakers. Had to throw that out there. Just in case. And then this game with the Suns and the Warriors. And that usually kind of sets the precedent of what the NBA expects this season to be. These four Western Conference teams, they kind of anticipate to be the juggernauts this year. This Western Conference is going to be crazy this year. You think it's going to be top heavy, or do you think it's going to be well dispersed? Like it oh, was this well, past dis- year? well dispersed because there's going to be a team like that, like Sacramento, that comes out of nowhere and it's like the three seed. I I think the Thunder have a really good chance to do that. And uh, Kevin and Kellen from the Empires of the Suns podcast, they did a really good uh, breakdown of not not the schedule, but in general, just the Western Conference as a whole and how this thing goes fourteen deep, where you can say. 14 of these teams could feasibly be in the top six. And by the way, if you haven't done the math of how many teams are in the Western Conference, Jeremy mentioned 14, there's 15 teams in the Western Conference. The fact that we're considering over 90% of this conference to be eligible for top six seeds, that's insane. I mean, you could see Utah feasibly making it as a play-in team, right? Like that is Utah? Yeah. San Antonio could be a playing team, Houston right? You never because be because Wemby could just be a world beater coming out. Exactly. Of it. Yeah, like, so I, this Western Conference is going to be crazy. I'm very excited. So to we're see only it. counting out Portland then. Yes. <laughs> well, why? Why I'm do just you think? Sure. No, but why do you think that their only national televised game is against Miami on February 27th? Oh, oh we're talking about having to slide things into a conversation. I see how it is. I don't. I, why would you? Why would they do that? First home game for the Suns is going to be the 28th of October against Utah. And then immediately after that, we just mentioned San Antonio and Wembenyama. 
Well, that's if you, awesome. If you wanted to see Victor Wembanyama, <laughs> your only opportunity to do so will be smack at the beginning of the season, the thirty first of October, so Halloween night, and then the second of November, both games against San Antonio. And knowing Greg Popovich, Wembanyama will only play one of those two games. Yeah, there's a day off in between. Doesn't matter. I know Greg Popovich. No, you, what, you know what else it's going to be though? It'll be the first game that campaign returns to Phoenix That's right. after being traded. If, to if San Antonio. he's still on San Antonio, I think he will be. Oh, you don't know. He might want to go to a contender. Well, this early in the season, I don't think he's going anywhere. Maybe, and maybe, maybe he sees San Antonio as that contender. Maybe he you wants get, to play for you with Wemby. Play with Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, know, we'll exactly. See, I guess we'll see. I. I don't think he ends up. Uh, he ends the season there. I'll say that. Um, looking through the rest of the schedule, particularly looking at reunions or returns to the Valley, uh, Golden State, November 22nd. That'll be the first game Chris Paul comes back to Footprint Center. Uh, going further down, Wednesday, December 13th, the Twins make their way back. That's going to be a hot ticket. Mikhail Bridges I've and talked Cam to Johnson. I've talked to a few people so so far that have told me that they want to go to that game. Well, so tickets, no matter what. Tickets already went on sale, or like the pre-sale already happened a day ago or a couple of days ago. I have to imagine that that, to your point, is the most popularly attended game this year. What do you think, like, ceremony-wise, what do you think they do? They, they definitely have a, you know, a video of the two of them, right? But anything, like, do you think they... Do you do separate videos? No, they'll do one together. It's the twins. They have like so many right. cute little moments together. But do you want to honor them each individually, or do you just want to honor them as a duo? I don't know. Maybe they do it throughout the game where they have one of each of them and then one together. Maybe. Yeah. It could work that way. But I agree with you that that's going to be a popular ticket. If not that one, any of the Golden State, any of the Lakers, I think the San Antonio Always. ones will be happy yeah. because people want to see Victor Wembanyama. Which, like you said, those are the only two times early in the season. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to go, yeah. you got to go then, and you're not going to go any other time. Um, also want to throw this out there before I skip over it. December 1st, that is the first time that Denver makes their way to Phoenix. Of course, Denver, the team that knocked out the Suns last year. Suns looking different. Have a full offseason to get ready with their new squad. Denver, they're going to have the same starting lineup, but they're not going to have the same bench. That's for sure. So maybe advantage Suns this time around. Who knows? And early in the season, I think we we, we missed this uh, when we were talking about the first two games of the season. We talked about Durant getting to play in front of the Chase Center crowd. This would be the first time in a long time LeBron plays against KD. On the 26th, yes. Yes. That would be the second game of the season in L.A. And then the Lakers are in Phoenix on November 10th. I think they did this early in the season for a reason, because they are both usually hurt. Heaven forbid. Yes. And I'm not not about to say what I'm going to say next, but you know what I'm hinting at. We have been waiting to see these two players face off for a while now. It's been since 2018. Oh my gosh, really? Yes. Wow. And then one more reunion that's going to happen this year on Valentine's Day. How fitting, right? It'll also be the second night of a back-to-back. More on that part in a second. February 14th against the Detroit Pistons. Monty Williams' return to the Valley. And they do play against Monty on November 5th in Detroit as well. So they'll play them early there. I don't know if the impact will be the same necessarily as it would be when Detroit comes here for their one and only visit. No, we'll definitely see some hugs and stuff like that but from the players. You get and, a video? and Yeah. Yeah, you think all the adoration and the well, I'm saying I'm saying uh, in November we'll see you know the hugs and stuff you know like 
talking with him before the game, stuff like that. But I, I, I would assume that he does get a video in February. He took the te- he helped take the team to the finals. That's a big deal. All right, by the numbers, fourteen back to backs, and I a lot that. of a lot of those games that I mentioned are second nights of a back to back. By the way. The Detroit game is the second night of a back-to-back. The Brooklyn game is the second night of a back-to-back. You have some road back-to-backs. You have Philly and then Detroit is a road back-to-back. You have a home back-to-back, Golden State and Brooklyn. You have another one, Portland and Golden State. You have at home, Denver and Memphis. Uh, I'm trying to... What was the worst one? The worst one is at Orlando, at Miami. So at least you're in the same state. But those road back-to-backs are brutal. Yeah. Just travel uh, late at night. Just count your blessings. You don't have to be in Denver on the second game of a back-to-back this year. Oh, that's true. That's just inhumane. Suns went 6-6 six and six on second nights of back-to-backs last season. Maybe they can bump that up. And there's going to be one stretch that is going to be the <laughs> longest of all of them, and that is when they start a seven-game road trip. January 24th, they start at Dallas, and the last game of the road trip is February 4th. So you have at Dallas on the 24th, 26th, you're at Indiana, 28th, you're at Orlando. The very next day, you're at Miami, 31st of January, you're at Brooklyn, the 2nd of February, you're at Atlanta, and then you're at Washington two days later, and then you come home a day later, the 6th, and you host Milwaukee. Yeah, like, so it's not, not like they get that's an extra day fair. off to fly from D.C. back here. No. No. They literally get the, the 5th off. And they got to play the sixth against Milwaukee and Giannis. So that'll be fun. So it'll be a big slap in the face, right? <laughs> Their longest homestand is six games. It stretches from de- December 29th to January 7th. Uh, that includes the Charlotte Hornets, the Orlando Magic, the Portland Trailblazers, the LA Clippers, the Miami Heat, and the Memphis Grizzlies. But then that Memphis Grizzlies game is the first night of a back-to-back where the second night is on the road against the Clippers. I'll tell you this. Wow, that is tough. I'll tell you this. It doesn't get any easier at the end of the schedule because the final three games of the season are on the road against probable playoff teams. You got the Clippers the 10th of April, Sacramento the 12th of April, and Minnesota the 14th of April. Three games on the road to finish out the season. Will seeding matter at that point? Who knows? It might. But... Like I said, this Western Conference is probably going to be tight. It's going to be a fun finish. I'm looking forward to the start of the season. Again, the first game for the Suns is going to be the 24th at Golden State. That's a Tuesday. That's NBA's opening night. And the Suns getting a lot of attention early. They have back-to-back games on TNT to open their season as well. Coming up next, speaking of opening the season, a week and a half away from ASU football and the Kenny Dillingham era. It's just one problem. We'll tell you what that problem is next on the Arizona Sports Saturday Show. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, it's taken. It's it's taking shape. Yeah, it's taking shapes. Any updates? No updates, but it's it's taking shape. That's for sure. Different shapes, depending <laughs> on the day, depending on the play. But there are definitely shapes being created. They're like circles, squares, rhombi, rhombuses. I don't know. QBs. All those things are sort of taking shape right now. Yep. Mitch Vareldis, Jeremy Schnell in for Steve Zinsmeister here on Arizona Sports Saturday today. And 
That voice that you heard coming into the segment, that was Kenny Dillingham, head coach of ASU football. That sound courtesy of Sun Devil Source and the great people there. How the QB spot is shaping up. And I mentioned going into the break, Jeremy, the tease was there's just one problem for ASU. And, well, that problem seems to be we don't know who their starting quarterback is yet. And we'll know soon, but maybe we don't know right now, and that's okay, but we're a week and a half out, and we still don't know who the starting quarterback's going to be. Yep, hit that button right there. There you go. Anywho. Um, yeah, it, I th- we know who it won't be. I think that's the Drew Pine, unfortunately, got hurt in... One of them out by injury, yeah. Yes, in Camp T. So we know who it won't be, but it's between Borgay... And it's between him and Rashada. So, what we what have we seen, right? From mm-hmm. the little clips that we've looked at, from what some people have been telling us who have gone to practice. Our good friend Jesse Morrison was at practice this week. He told us that Borgay just seems to command the offense better, right? He was kind of ready to lay down the welcome mat. Right. But, again... Still struggling with throws outside the numbers. Sure. And with the weapons, this goes back to our Colt McCoy discussion, with the weapons that ASU has, you kind of need them to be a, the quarterback to be able to throw outside the numbers. You want to get Tyson involved. You want to get Elijah Badger involved. Even if Swinson and Conyers are able to go and play the X role, right? You can throw it to them on the outside. So... Does that give Rashada kind of a leg up on that kind of... I don't know, man. Like, Well, <laughs> if I could put this as nicely as I can, do you want to have explosive plays every now and then, or do you want to win football games? And that, this is not me saying, do you want Trenton Borgay or do you want Jaden Rashada? I want my it's, quarterback to be able to do everything. I want my quarterback to be able to do the job that a quarterback is supposed to do. And if that means micromanage his way down the field, so be it. If that means using your deep threats to your advantage and your ability to throw the ball downfield, if that means do that, so be it. I, I, there's not a lot of expectation for this team. New regime, completely overhauled offense for the most part. You've got some familiar faces, but not a lot of them. A completely shape-shifted defense with very little return. Like, it is a complete new look for ASU, it feels like. And there's not a ton of pressure, per se, on Kenny Dillingham to make the most of his first season. But there's expectation that he's going to do a lot better than Herm Edwards' final year last year. And you have to think, is he going to do the smart thing and go with the guy that's going to win him the most games? Or is he going to do the entertainment thing and get the guy that's flashy? We talked about that. We talked about this the other day on State of the Sun Devils, Mitch. And I, I think the problem here is, is you don't want either guy to get hurt, right? Because the offensive line is just, it's, it's, it's not as good as it, as it has been in the past. It's been right? much better. And this is not better. Right. So the problem there is you have a player like Rashada who's very, you know, lean, right? He's coming. It's not a knock on him. He was a high schooler last year. Like, he's got to get into the weight training program, and that's going to happen over time, right? But you want to get him ready to play in Big 12 competition coming into next year. And I think that's what it's all about, right? Because you're going into a big competition. He's got 
four at least three years left here at ASU, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I the thing is, you want to make sure that he's ready for that when it comes time to play against that competition. Now, does that mean he's going to play three, four, five games this year? I don't know, but I think it's important to get him in at least once this year to become a split job. Do you I like don't like start, that. Do you like start with Borgay and then as the season goes on, if you're at a point where you're no longer in bowl game contention or anything like that, do you get Rashada out there for the sake of getting him the reps so that he understands whether or not this is something he wants to continue to be a part of going into next year? And I think, unfortunately, you have to think about this in NIL terms now. Like, that's how it works now with the state of college football. Again, that was the whole reason that he's here in the first place. Right. If the the reports coming out of Florida, if that deal went through and Jaden Rashada ended up with the Gators, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the whole reason that Rashada is here is because of a fallout because of NIL. And would that be the reason, to your point, that Rashada finds his way out after this season is done? Obviously, we hope not. We don't want that to happen. He's wicked talented. And not only him, though, the receivers. Yeah. The receivers are really good, right? And you want to get them involved. You want to get them involved down the field. And if Borgay can't do that, do they make the decision because of the state of college football to go with Rashada this early? This was Dillingham from that same practice uh, talking about the growth that he's seen out of Jaden Rashada. When he's on the field, explosive plays happen. Now, is there a learning curve with him? Yeah. He didn't really give him any reps in spring ball because he showed up the day before. All right, he started, didn't earn the right to be with the ones or twos to start full camp. So he started with the threes. But over a period of time, he's grown and gotten better and better and better. And he's earned the reps to be with the ones. He's earned the reps to be with the twos. So it's a matter of watching the tape and seeing are his positives and explosives, do they outweigh the young moments that you're going to have as a, as a young quarterback? And can us as a staff control those young moments enough to where we can showcase his talents? It seems like Kenny Dillingham's having the same internal conversation with himself that we were just having. Except we were having it externally, right? Right. <laughs> Could you imagine having an internal conversation on radio? <laughs> I, I don't think I'd think it would just we would we wouldn't be talking. That would it. be kind of difficult. No, it wouldn't work. Um, yeah, no, but it sounds like he's having the same conversation with himself. Explosive plays. He said it himself. It's not a big. It's not a knock on Borgay. He can still throw the ball down the field. It's just not. It also shouldn't be a priority, though, right? Right, but again, you want your quarterback to be able to do everything, and I think Rashada has the talent to do that. And I don't think this season matters as much as next year does. So put him out there and get him going, get him used to it, and just just go. Just go, just go. And you have to get ready for what's to come when they head to the Big 12 next year. Of course... There's still a lot of talk about the fallout from ASU departing the Pac-12, not the only school departing the Pac-12. Michael Crow sat down exclusively with KTAR's Mike Broomhead on his Amazing Arizonans podcast, and they talked about the aspects of the Apple deal. I'm not going to get into everything, but uh, Crow emphasized that. Had they done this deal, this essentially would have helped keep the conference together. From my perspective, you kept the Pac-12 together as a regional conference. And then you'd have this whole new way to broadcast digitally all of your content. Most of us thought that was a pretty good deal, including me. Uh, Along the way, others didn't think that was a good deal. Maybe that Apple shouldn't do that. 
And so at the last second, the Big Ten, working, I would guess, with their media groups, picked off two teams. And you and I talked about the aspects of the Apple deal. It's intriguing. It feels new energy, new excitement, new way of broadcasting all the different sports that ASU has. But you have no linear market. It's just not enough for right now. It's cool in the future, but it doesn't save the conference right now. It's a big risk. Yes, it would have been. It would have been a big risk. And um, I'm glad ASU's in the spot that they are now. We're sad that the Pac-12 is no longer right, but. I'm glad ASU made the decision to go to the Big 12 because they have a TV deal in place. It is static. It has money involved. It's not if you meet this goal, you get this amount of money, right? It is actually going to happen, right? We had no idea if this Apple deal was going to happen. And um, it, it was it contingent on if Washington and Oregon stayed? I don't know. Um it's just a whole lot of what ifs, and I'm glad that they actually have a. This is going to happen. They have stability now, and that's good exactly. for them. Going stability. Forward. Coming up next, last night is exactly why the Diamondbacks were correct at the trade deadline. What do I mean by that? I'll tell you next on Arizona Sports Saturday.